Sorry to interrupt, it's Misha here, the Conversations Managing Editor. As you probably know, the conversation relies on you, our readers, to help fund our work. Over the next two weeks, we desperately need your help to keep doing our work and to keep this podcast on air. It doesn't take much. For $30 a month, you can help us provide clean, evidence-based information. If you value what we do, please give now by visiting donate.theconversation.edu.au or by clicking on the banner ad on our homepage. And now, back to the podcast. Trust me, I'm like a smart person. From The Conversation, this is Trust Me, I'm an Expert, a podcast where we ask the academic experts to surprise, delight and inform us with their research. I'm Sananda Gray. Earlier this week, we published a story that I've got to tell you I can't stop thinking about. It was called, and this is a quote it begins with, I really have thought this can't go on. Loneliness looms for rising numbers of older private renters. And it was by Alan Morris, a research professor at the University of Technology, Sydney, and Andrea Vadasco, a research associate also at the University of Technology, Sydney. The story it told was of the lives of older renters and older people in social housing and how they felt about the level of loneliness that they were experiencing. I urge you to go and read that story for yourself because in it the authors quote some older Australians that they interviewed about what they're experiencing and how their feelings of loneliness are really related to the type of housing that they're living in. So I went and spoke to Alan Morris in his office. I did a bit of research on older people and I quickly realised that uh, they were in very, very different situations depending on their housing tenure. And it became apparent uh, as I progressed that older private renters were in a very, very vulnerable situation on various levels. Whereas your older social housing tenants, although they're, you know, some of them certainly were in difficult situations, most of them were able to lead a decent life. What is social housing? Well, social housing um, can take two forms. I mean, historically, there was public housing, which was managed and owned by state governments. And in the last couple of decades, increasingly, a lot of this uh, public housing has been given over to community housing providers. The crucial thing about social housing is that the rent is set at 25% of income, and also your tenancy is much more secure. You know, unless you really behave extremely poorly, basically, especially if you're an older person, your tenancy is virtually guaranteed. So when you finally sat down to talk to these people, what did they say? Well, it was very varied. People spoke about feeling extremely vulnerable and uh, very lonely. So what is happening is that um, obviously rents in Sydney are very high. Uh, so people have to expend a very large proportion of the income on um, the, on accommodation. Um, also, because the cost of, cost of because the cost of accommodation is high, they very often have to live in situations which are not really satisfactory, in terms of location and also in terms of quality of accommodation. And then a very very important factor is their constant anxiety around whether they're going to be able to retain their accommodation. So they're constantly worried about uh, the rent being increased whether the landlord will ask them to leave because they want the apartment back or whatever. So there's this enormous anxiety brought about by their very, very dire financial situation and their very precarious situation. 
the their situation, their financial situation means they can they find it very difficult to afford outings to go out, even going on the you know on public transport. They have to measure up whether they can afford it. Every cent is accounted for, and um, then their level of anxiety and distress becomes so acute very often that they really find it very very difficult to engage with the world, even if they want to. So as you say, this project was developed into a book, The Australian Dream, Housing Experiences of Older Australians. And I read with interest your story on the conversation where you actually quoted some of the voices of the older people uh, that you interviewed. You know, these are stories that a lot of us never seek out and never hear. You know, some of them were really quite moving and quite sad. One that really struck me was a 72-year-old woman living by herself said she could not afford the outings organised by her church. And here's a quote. She says, There's quite an active social club at the church for over 55s, but I can't go to any of those. Sometimes I think it would be nice to go on at something that appeals to me. Yes. And they might have an afternoon at somebody's home and you're asked to bring a plate. But you see, I couldn't afford to do that. The level of desperation was absolutely remarkable. Mm. You know, people would say $2.50 for public transport, well, that's a loaf of bread. So they have to constantly make these choices. So leisure is really becomes a total, utter luxury. And um, it really feeds into a terrible situation of isolation and loneliness. Uh, Bridget, who was um, living by herself, you do get depressed, and I believe that's why people suicide. And there have been times when I've thought, what is the point to life? I really have thought this can't go on, you know. I feel sorry for people because it is hard. And once you stay in, it's like crawling out of a slime pit. I have to say, get up and go out, go up to the shops, pretend you need potatoes or something. So it's really pretty desperate. And what about some of the voices of people who were in social housing? The crucial thing about social housing, as I think I was saying earlier, is that the um, cost of the accommodation is limited to 25% of income. So that makes a tremendous difference. People can budget. They can plan. That's predictable. So it relieves that anxiety. They know that the rent won't increase. They stay for a very long time. And that longevity of residence is very, very important because what, what happens very often is that they make close friends you know, in the same complex. They have strong social ties. They're people that they know and that they can rely on and who, who they know care for them. And that makes a tremendous difference to their lives. And a lot of them were very, very active. You know, They were involved in community activities and their disposition was very, very positive. Some of them were living in challenging situations where they had really very, very bad neighbours, you know, who were pretty dysfunctional. But they, because they, they had the, the money available, you know, from the age pension, etc., they were able to, in a sense, cope with that situation to some extent. Obviously, it impacted on their quality of life, but they were able to cope. Mm. One quote, which I think um, sums up what I'm saying, So this was an 85-year-old who was very, very active. I do like it around you. I know where everything is, and I know all the people, especially around these units, you know. I know everyone, and they know me. I like it around you. This is my home, you know. This is a community. I think, like, I know all the people, and we've become really good friends. I couldn't think of being anywhere else. 
So very often their quality of life was actually very rich. Um, in fact, a lot richer, I thought, than many of the older homeowners who some of them were, you know, they just, they had connections, but they were fairly limited. Whereas the older, a lot of the older public housing tenants had a lot of connections and were very busy people. Some of these situations are not utterly perfect. There's one woman who you've, you've called Patricia in this story, and she mm-hmm. says, no, I hate it. Public housing, that is. No, I hate it. I live here at the community centre every day. Yes, I'm on the committee here and I do things every day. This is my home and my family. Everybody's friendly with everybody. We have outings and things. I guess that sort of echoes what you were saying before, where even they do, even in situations where they do have uh, dysfunctional neighbours, they can find a space mm-hmm. within the social housing setting where they can get that social contact. Absolutely. There is an increasing problem because a lot of people being accommodated in public housing or in social housing do have serious issues and they make for challenging neighbours. And that is creating a lot of problems for a lot of older people. My concern is that because social housing is becoming so limited and is so difficult to access and is now restricted to people who are severely disadvantaged, that more and more older people find themselves living in social housing and surrounded by very, very difficult neighbours, and the, you know, which could really undermine their quality of life over time. And then you have people who had had both situations. You know, tell us about Pam. Pam was very interesting. I uh, interviewed her very early on in my research uh, as a private renter, and she was in a really desperate situation. You know, having to use a lot of her income for accommodation, etc. And then I interviewed her once she had accessed social housing, and her life had been completely just transformed, and her disposition. So this is once she's, uh, I asked her how her life had changed once she got the social housing. Well, it, it, is, it is changed because I'm happier and I think I'm healthier and I have a lot of new friends. I also have a lot more people around me for support if anything does happen. If I get uh, sick and if they don't see me for a few days, someone will come and say, um, Pam, are you okay? In private housing, there was nobody. In your book, you talk about a woman you call Elaine. Can you tell me what she said? So she um, had recently moved into private rental accommodation. She was living with her daughter, but their relationship had soured and she had to move out. And sorry, she was living in a very small granny flat in Sydney, in a very, um, you know, very isolated spot. She says, I'm struggling. I'm trying to survive. I can't go to the movies. I can't go out for dinner and things like that with friends for lunch. My social life is down the drain. As I said, everything has changed. I have to be very careful with my money. I can't go to the places that I used to go. I can't do things that I used to do. My situation makes me feel lonely. She sounds really trapped. Absolutely. A lot of people felt totally trapped. And can you imagine, you know, sitting in this granny flat day in, day out, very small, looking at the four walls and or watching television. It becomes extremely depressing. Were there any other stories that really stuck with you? So there's one person I interviewed um, also very early on, and she took quite some time to access public housing, uh, well, social housing. And I asked her, um, so when you received the news that you had got into community housing, did you open a bottle of champagne? And she said, I was, well, I sat down and cried. I literally sat down 
and cried because I felt like, well, at least I had the protection of the Department of Housing, whereas before, of course, I didn't have any of that. I had no protection whatsoever. My children were having children, so they couldn't take care of me. They were they just working class people, and so they couldn't care for me. So consequently, I couldn't see any future at all until I got the word from housing that I've got somewhere. Mm. Yeah, and I understand that a growing number of older Australians are you know, going into retirement still having not either paid off a mortgage or being, you know, rental accommodation. So it seems to me that this is not an isolated problem. This is potentially a growing problem. I think a very, very important point which emerges from this research is that historically, all Australians, you know, the vast majority um, were were outright homeowners by the time they retired. They had paid off their mortgage. And the age pension... The adequacy of the age pension is really premised on people having quite, you know, either low housing costs or no housing costs. So this situation where you have an increasing number of older Australians um, leaving the workforce and depend on the age pension and depend on the private rental sector for their accommodation is really a very, very serious issue. It's a bit invisible at the moment because they're so isolated. But I think, um, you know, over the next decade, it's becoming, going to become more and more of an issue. At the moment, probably around about 8% of older Australians are in the private rental sector. Now, that sounds quite low, but when you, trans, you, know, when that, you translate that into an absolute number, you're talking about around about at least 200,000 people. What I found really interesting and surprising was that a number of the older private renters I interviewed had been older homeowners. What had happened in late in life, they'd either got divorced, uh, illness, small business had got into liquidation, and they found themselves having to, they lost the home and they were found themselves dependent on the private rental sector. So there was this quite rapid spiral of decline scary to think how quickly those situations can change isn't it absolutely um and especially older women who historically had very little superannuation professor morris in your opinion what needs to change first of all in terms of the private rental sector it would be very very good if the legislation was improved so the tenants had more protection at the moment in new south wales you have no grounds eviction so um, an older person can just be told to leave once the lease ends, the written agreement ends, they can be given 90 days, they just have to be given 90 days notice, written notice, and that's it. So that creates enormous anxiety. Also, of course, the rents, the rents can be increased to as much as the landlord wants. So that's the other big factor, if there was some type of rent control, especially for older people or people dependent on, you know, disability, pension, etc., also, with the rental sector, there's no locational difference in terms of the Commonwealth rent assistance. There is some rent assistance, but, you know, you get the same in Dubbo as you get in Sydney. So it doesn't really make... It makes a difference, but the impact is is obviously minimised because rents in Sydney are so much higher. But I think the crucial factor is the lack of um, affordable housing. You know, what I would argue, you know, Australia is a rich country. We spend billions of dollars on submarines, etc., Yet, if um, you know, if twenty billion dollars was allocated to public housing, probably there would be a bit of an outcry. But that is what is needed. We need a target. Every year, we should have a target of say building twenty thousand public homes. It is possible. In the nineteen eighty-five to 1995 period, for example, around about 
10, 11,000 homes were built annually, you know, which, made, which did make a difference. In response to the global financial crisis, about 20,000 uh, social housing units were built in a very short period of time. So I really do feel that, um, you know, any decent country should look after the more vulnerable citizens. Not everybody can make it in the housing market. And I think in terms of cost-benefit, I think when people have secure, affordable uh, housing, their capacity to participate in the society is obviously greatly enhanced. And if they don't, you know, they cost the system a lot of money in terms of health costs, etc. So I really do feel that we should embark, that Australia needs to embark on a very serious um, social housing program. Trust Me, I'm an Expert is a podcast from The Conversation. My name again is Sananda Cray. Our theme beats are by Uncle Ho, and we've used music in this podcast from Free Music Archive. You can see a full list of audio credits on our website at theconversation.com.